This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Despite an ongoing financial crisis that has spared few industries and countries, participants in the recent Knowledge at Wharton Real Estate in Emerging Markets Forum focused on the opportunities that still exist in underserved markets for those who know where to look. Panelists and guest speakers at the forum, organized in collaboration with Interconnect Events, included global real estate developers, investors, finance specialists, and top-level executives in the industry. Their overall message, as stated by one participant, no one is safe today, but on a relative basis, the emerging markets are better positioned. In this special report, Knowledge at Wharton asked several forum participants about their experience with and views on emerging markets. Our guest today is Gary Garibrandt, CEO and co-founder of Equity International. Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. The question that's on everyone's mind is how the international financial climate has affected real estate investment. Could you give me a sense about how the impact has been on your operations? Well, uh, several reactions. One, uh, we're living in historic and uh, at the same time unprecedented times. And so everyone is uh, attempting to formulate a response. The problem is the the response changes every week uh, because the volatility has been so uh, dramatic. Uh, fortunately, we uh, when we created the business uh, 10 years ago, uh, were not uh, provided debt capital. We asked. Um, I'm now thanking the banks uh, for not providing that debt capital. So at the equity international level, we run an unleveraged business. That would be important point one. Secondly, we have capital through our fourth fund. So that that dry powder enables us to capitalize on the prevailing opportunities. Could you give us a sense of the global scale of your operations and which are the markets where you see the most impact of the slowdown and which are the strongest markets? We have, uh, from the inception, focused on emerging markets, believing that the capital inefficiency, the growth of the middle class, um, weak or non-existent competition were among the fa- and presence of great partners were among the factors that uh, were uh, attractive. Uh, we've avoided uh, Western Europe, for example, Canada, uh, until uh, recently Australia, New Zealand, uh, and the UK. Although we've run- recently entered our first developed markets, namely those three, so to- through a senior housing business, we've invested in 18 portfolio companies. We are uh, recognized now for our uh, style, which is an active co-investment style. Um, In terms of uh, what areas are most affected, I would uh, suggest that the United States and countries that had easy access to debt, uh, Western Europe, uh, Japan, uh, among them are um, uh, being affected the most. Those countries without access to debt capital, Brazil, for example, are um, uh, being affected less. You know, no one's safe today, but on a relative basis, uh, the emerging markets are better positioned. When you look at emerging markets, what are the kind of pros and cons that you weigh in deciding where to invest and where not to go? It's an interesting question. Uh, People use that expression uh, to capture a number of countries. And I 
would suggest that there's, uh, at least the way we uh, consider, uh, two categories. There is uh, kind of the traditional BRICS plus, uh, which would represent those that are um, are either institutional or can be institutionalized with uh, relative ease. And then there's the frontier. Uh, we've uh, spent considerable time in all of the traditional BRICS. We favor Brazil uh, for, for various reasons. We've tried in every, every of the BRICS uh, uh, to establish uh, operations. We're, uh, we have three companies in China, four in Brazil. Uh, we had an investment in the Ukraine, nothing in uh, Russia per se, but we've spent considerable time there and cons spent considerable time in India as well. Um, Egypt should also be included in that list, in our view. Uh, uh, Mexico should also be included in that list as the plus. Um, more frontier uh, markets like Sub-Saharan Africa or Vietnam are also intriguing to us, and uh, th we're in the exploratory phase with, those, with respect to those countries. Uh, what are the principal risks that you've encountered uh, when you enter these emerging markets compared to more developed markets like the U.S., for example? Well, the risks are, uh, are, can be enormous, uh, and starting with political risk. We were an investor in Venezuela, and we um, got educated. Uh, we didn't know we were um, uh, enrolling uh, when we uh, began our adventure in Venezuela, but uh, we learned uh, several things. Uh, one was having a, uh, a world-class partner who was uh, by our side uh, through our experience and when uh, at our initiative uh, assisted us in monetizing our investment, which we're, we're very proud of that. We remain uh, close uh, friends with that uh, partner. Uh, as well, we learned that political risk can't be quantified really. Uh, and there are a lot of intelligent people who disagree with that statement, but uh, simply for us, liquidity equals value. Uh, and for years, we had no liquidity and by extension, no value with respect to our investment in Venezuela. So, uh, you know, I would say that those, that, that uh, political risk ranks very high. Uh, and and uh, we avoid uh, situations, Russia would be a current example, where we just can't quite get our arms around it. Uh, and, and we also are uh, uh, now with a global enterprise, we have opportunities available to us in any number of countries so that we don't have to, to, uh, to push uh, so hard. We don't allocate capital. We are opportunistic. Uh, you know, rule of law, uh, property rights, uh, uh, the, the way mortgages operate, uh, foreclosure laws, uh, uh, all, all of those things come into play, and we're quite careful with respect to documentation. But, but ultimately, the investments that we make are alongside of partners, uh, which are, uh, are distinguished in their own right, and, and uh, that uh, relationship uh, uh, is uh, graduated from the documents. You, you referred to India, and of course, uh, this is as current a time as any to be thinking about political risk in India, yes. considering the unprecedented terrorist attacks that have taken place there in recent times. Yes. And there's also been a significant political backlash following those attacks. Uh, is that likely to affect the way you think about your activities in India? Or? It, is, it is a factor. Uh, we... Uh, we stay at the Taj uh, Hotel, uh, and I recognize uh, those those images, and it's really haunting uh, and a terrible tragedy. 
Um, it, uh, it, and and uh, there may be a local linkage. Uh, to what extent, we don't know. Uh, what it says to me, at least, is that anything can happen anywhere. And, uh, you know, we consider India to be a, a country that's characterized by nonviolence, uh, and it's characterized by democracy, and it's characterized by process, um, and, and, um, and so this is really unprecedented uh, uh, for India. And, uh, you know, I think the bigger, for us, the bigger issue uh, as an investor in India is finding the right partner, and we continue to, to look for that partner. You also referred to liquidity as, as being a very key part of your thinking. Uh, considering the state of the markets today and the sort of virtual freeze in credit markets, uh, where are the emerging sources of liquidity? Uh, fascinating question. Uh, uh, you know, we have uh, not been dependent on debt, uh, and uh, that uh, independence uh, serves us well today. We have uh, also f uh, considered uh, mostly private uh, companies, but today uh, we see extraordinary value in public companies uh, and the listed securities of those public companies, namely the common shares. And uh, we, uh, through our various uh, funds, uh, funds two, three, and four, which are operative today, we have a, a, a series of public companies. We love those companies. And uh, at these price levels, we've started to uh, in invest more and increase our, our position. Uh, goes without saying, in each of those cases, we're intimately involved with the businesses uh, beyond board-level uh, activity. And, uh, and so that gives us, uh, I would say, an edge, makes us unique. Uh, it's really what we do. Uh, we create and, and grow uh, leading businesses outside of the United States. One final question. Uh, what's your prognosis for the next 18 to 24 months? I think it's going to be a difficult period. I, I um, very bearish on the U.S. I think the consumer is exhausted uh, and overlevered, and it's going to take some time to uh, uh, to reverse that. Uh, we remain quite uh, bullish about uh, emerging markets and and those areas which are seeing growth, even on a diminished uh, level. Uh, talk about India and China and Brazil uh, specifically. Uh, the growth of the middle class is a powerful trend. We're still selling homes in Mexico and Brazil as opposed to uh, the developed economies. And I think when we finally see a turn, likely sometime in 2010, uh, it will uh, begin in those uh, markets. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.